here today to worship with us, hear God's word, and we've got Sunday school coming out. Go on and take a seat. Scoot your booties in. Make some room. <laughs> I got it. That's right. That's right. And as you're scooting in, would you please stand and we will praise the Lord together. Let's go ahead and stand.
a name that's above every name, and at that name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And aren't you glad for that name, the name of Jesus? What an important name that is to every one of us. I want you to, uh, to pray for Mayor Bailey, who is at Mount Everest, climbing Mount Everest. He was at Station 2, uh, but he came down with cold and was sore throat and so on. So we need to pray for him to get feeling better, whether he continues on uh, or not. So I want to pray for him. And by the way, we need to pray for Allen, Texas. Uh, what a tragedy yesterday. It just seems like every day brings a new tragedy. So if you're healthy and walking around and got your family and got your loved ones close by you, you are blessed among all people. And we need to be grateful and thankful for that. So, John, uh, would you mind leading us in word of prayer and God ask God to bless the services today, sir? Yes. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm sure glad you're here today. Thank you. you. may be seated. So glad to have you all here with us this morning. We've got some folks here from South Carolina. We had some people from North Carolina last week. Now we got South Carolina, so we're kind of covering the eastern seaboard there. Uh, see who comes next, next week. But uh, if you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time, either one, if you would do me a favor, if you fill out one of these cards and give us your name and your email address or phone number or something or both, uh, an address, I will, I will send you a gift card to Starbucks. How about that? So you got to put your right name, though. Don't put Joe, Joe Smith or something like that. Fill it out and then give it to me at the end of the service. Or uh, we have a, a, a brown box on a stand back by the double doors. That's where our members put their tithes and offerings in. But as a guest, we just want you to fill out your connection card. There's a place on the back if you have prayer requests, or if you have questions maybe, you'd want to ask us something. Uh, if it's a real hard question, I'll get Mark to help me with that because I may or may not know the answer to it. But uh, hey, yeah, I was talking to you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, on the on-deck circle. All right, so go ahead and fill this out. Turn it in. We appreciate it so very, very much. I want to give you a couple of announcements that are important. Uh, today, we'll be preaching on the theme, Back to Cana. Back to Cana, uh, another uh, series in the series on the study of the life of Christ, chronological study. And then military, all military families, active duty, on the patio, free lunch uh, for everybody. So thank you so much for coming today. Uh, tomorrow uh, morning, I, if you can be there, that'd be great. If you can't, if you could pray for Bill Webb's service, memorial service, 
Bill Webb is a guy who God used phenomenally over at Midway Baptist Church for so many years. The, all, almost, almost all the buildings that are there are there because he had a part to do with it and all the grading and, and everything. So he passed away 92 years of age last Sunday afternoon. And he's a tremendous man. I, I love that guy like a dad. Uh, so the service will be at the old Midway Baptist Church, which is now called Ocean View Baptist Church. And it'll be at uh, 11 a.m. And you're invited to that. There'll be a reception afterwards. Uh, it's Gary's dad that passed away. And Gary was in on building those buildings as well. So we appreciate the Webb family so very, very much. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. So we're going to be preaching on, we're going to take a break from our Life of Christ series, and we're going to uh, preach a sermon on mothers that made a difference. And my mom made a big difference. I'm going to talk about biblical mothers, but my mom made a huge difference in my life, huge. And I would guarantee that your mom had a phenomenal influence on you, and I hope it was for good. June 9th to the 10th, are the farmers still here? Are, are they here? Where are, where are they? Are they? They're out farming, maybe. Okay. They're... <laughs> Yeah, they're on the farm, of course. So if you're interested in the Unified Couples Retreat, June 9th and 10th, you will need to see them. You can contact them. Julie would give you their phone number, I'm sure. If you want a Basque student from the Basque region of Spain uh, for one month this summer, you see Julie for that also, and uh, we'll hook you up with Chris Probasco, and he'll get you a Basque student for one month. It'll be a blessing to you, I promise you. Uh, our WANA program, WANA leaders from our church, uh, Rachel heads that up, or headed that up, and she's going to be moving, <clears throat> unfortunately, to, well, unfortunately for us, to Texas. Um, but the WANA program is looking for a leader who would be able to head that up, and it is a paid position. Is that correct, Rachel? So uh, if you're interested, let Rachel know. Rachel, wave so everybody knows where you are right there. And, uh, and she can hook you up. They also need a secretary for the coming year as well. It's, it's a great ministry. It's an opportunity for children uh, and young adults to memorize scriptures, uh, great numbers of scriptures. Convalescent ministry. Monica, where are you? Raise your hand. Wave it around. Okay. Uh, Monica's got a convalescent ministry May the 13th. Uh, the bulletin has the details. Monica has the details. So see her, and she would be glad to... Uh, to hook you up with uh, what's happening there. Now, I am going to try to read these names and see if I can get them right. Uh, so, Caesar and Cynthia Advinia. Is that right, Caesar? Is that close? Come on down here, both of you. They are new members at uh, First Baptist Church of Coronado, and this and about 10 bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> Just remain standing right here. This is Caesar and Cynthia. Is Paul Law? He's not in town. Is he? Is Paul out of town? Paul, you're right back here. Tall Paul, come on down here. <clears throat> A storied basketball player at Coronado High School, and uh, so yeah. Thank you, Paul. God bless. My teammate, David Lassner. David Lassner's your teammate. Yeah, yeah. You told me he wasn't really that good. <laughs> okay. Is, is Ulysses and Selena Hernandez, are you here this morning? I haven't seen you yet. <clears throat> so super incredible people from uh, the other church that uh, was on staff for a long time, and I thank God for them. Uh, this is Daniel and Delphin Mraz. Are you here? Come on down, all right? So Daniel, Delphin, Mraz. 
And coming as a certificate of membership, joining May the 1st, we had, uh, of course, what we require for membership is someone who's received Christ as their Lord and Savior. God bless you, man. Remain standing right there. And then uh, also someone who, uh, who's who been baptized scripturally. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we, we took care of that, Mac, didn't we, last week? We almost baptized him twice. First time when I dunked him, second time when he almost slid in. So but, uh, Bethany Gill from membership. Bethany, where are you? Come on down. God bless you. Good to have you as a new member of First Baptist Church in Coronado. Thank you so much. And Mac Berry. Baptized like Jesus last Sunday morning, and we're certainly, we're honored to take care of that. He wanted to be baptized on his 80th birthday, but I was playing hooky in Alabama, <laughs> eating fried everything. So there you go, sir. Remain standing here just for a moment. Uh, and then Doug and Donna Cole for new members. And I think, yeah. God bless you, Doug. Thank you so much. Is Donna here today? She is not. She is not. Well, let me cross her name out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to try. Samoth, Elmaka, Elmaka, Samoth. Come on down, buddy. <laughs> New member of First Baptist Church, Coronado. God bless you, Sam. Been coming for about six months or eight months, something like that? Yeah. About that. All right. All right. God bless you. We're glad for that. And uh, would you give them a big hand? We're so glad, so thankful for them. God bless you guys. You can go ahead and be seated. And if you're interested, if you're out there wondering how do you become a member, you get, you get, get saved. If you're not already, you get baptized scripturally. If you haven't been already, and then you go to the membership class, and we tell you what we're all about, and then you decide, maybe I don't want to be part of that. Or, or maybe you do. Either way, there's no pressure, no hype. We're glad to have you here, and we have a, a presentation by Live Love right now. So if you would cue that up and get ready. Thank you. Good morning. I'm so thankful to stand up here and share what God has done and is continuing to do. And I just want to say thank you to these two women that are coming up right now, Cindy and Darlene. I could not do this without you guys. <laughs> We're all walking with God, but they're walking with God with me. And that's huge. I'm blessed beyond measure. And it's, I can't, I don't have a lot of words for that, but I'm so grateful. Thank you so much, you guys. Um, I just want to say before we show the video, that God has been so faithful. Jesus has given me such a sweet walk with him to where I can say to my father, if you don't love me today, Lord, there's no way on earth I can love you, love who you have called me to love. That's the truth. That's my daily, daily. <laughs> and every single time without fail, when I tell him that and ask him that, his spirit floods my heart and he reminds me, oh, but I do, daughter. Here you go. And it's amazing. I, I can't even describe the, that. Um, but this video that we're going to show is a glimpse into our daily work that the Lord revealed to me actually over 14 years ago as he continues to build his church where we, in fact, a lot of people, we get to work and live life together every day, walking with God and responding to his command that he gave us to go into all the world and make disciples 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll also see pictures of the family of God that by God's grace we are able to support who are devoted to loving God and others the same way. We are also grateful for the direct support we get from so many of you guys in here. And also we are grateful for the support that FBC provides to the kingdom of God. We're so thankful. God uses it all and has been using it all for his glory, whether I believe it or not. <laughs> we will be in front of the church after service for any questions at all to what the needs are and for what the vision for the Living Waters Ranch is for, if you have any questions. So thank you. Enjoy. dwells in us. We're walking swords because the word of God is a sword, right? Yes. So that's all too as well. Um, pull out your phone, take notes, go home, research more about God's faithfulness. Don't just listen here. Do you want a ministry we need a leader for?
Visit the table out in front, right after the service. Because of your Oops. faith that you proclaimed and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I welcome you into his kingdom, into his family. And we now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand and continue to worship the Lord's song.
So much praise team. I so much enjoy the music that they provide us here. I like the new songs, but some of these old ones are so rich, so rich and deep in meaning and imagery. And uh, boy, it's amazing. If you haven't hidden yourself in the cleft of the rock, if you haven't received Christ as your personal Savior, today could be the day when your whole destiny could change forever. I'm going to ask the young men and women of First Baptist Church to come on up here before you go to your class, so come on down, and uh, for all the moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and everybody else that's left in the congregation, turn to John chapter 4. We'll be there in just a few moments. John, John's Gospel chapter 4. Okay, boys and girls, how many of you have ever had a broken arm? Nobody? How many's ever had a broken finger? Nobody? How many's ever had a broken fingernail? Nobody. You guys are super men and women. Oh, you've had a ho- bro- broken fingernail. Okay. How many have ever had the measles? Mumps? COVID? 
A couple of COVIDites, all right, so. Uh, how many's ever had a cut? Oh, there we go. How about a bruise? How about a scrape? William, you're amazing. You have had none of the above, right? Oh, you got, there's one right there. There's one right there. Absolutely. All right. So let me ask you a question. How does a cut get better? By healing. How does it heal? Huh? Without a Band-Aid? You must be a real guy, huh? Here, put it right there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what, what you do is you, you, when you get a cut or a bruise or a scrape, you go find mommy. First of all, don't find daddy because daddy will not give you one little bit of sympathy. Not one little bit. So go find mommy and she'll put some medicine on it. She'll clean it up first of all and then she'll put some medicine on it and then she'll uh, put a Band-Aid on it and then she'll kiss it and make it better. Back in the old days, she would take Macuracomb and draw a smiley face on, uh, you know, on it. And, and so, so, but the point is, how does the cut grow back together? How does that happen? Yeah, maybe, but you know what happens? God is the one who heals us. If we get healed, it's God who does it. Look, at a doctor, have you ever had, have you ever had your tonsils out? Anybody had your tonsils out? Anybody ever had your appendix out? Anybody ever had your gizzard out? You guys are phenomenal, every single one of you. I'll tell you, it's just amazing to me. I had all those things out, except for the gizzard. Uh, and doctors can do surgery, but they can't make the muscle grow back together. They can't make the skin grow back together. They can't make the blood vessels grow back together. They just, they're limited in what they can do. God is the one who heals us. He doesn't always heal us because we live in a messed up, broken world. And sometimes things happen, bad things happen to people, Good people, bad things happen to bad people. Sometimes uh, we don't recover from some of the illnesses or diseases or accidents, but it's an important reason to when you're young, trusting Jesus as your Savior and as your God and as your heavenly, as your the one who'll take you to heaven one day. So I want us to pray that God will keep you healthy and no broken bones and no cuts and scrapes that can't be healed. So let's pray right now, would you? Bow your heads, Father, we thank you for each young lady and each young man here today, and I pray that uh, they would understand what a lot of people, a lot of adults don't understand, and that is that you're the one who made us in such a miraculous way that we heal from diseases, we heal from accidents, we heal from problems, Lord. You're the one who created our bodies in such a way that they do that, and I pray that you would keep these youngsters safe, and God, that they would love you and honor you and serve you all the days of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't leave yet. To help you remember, and, and William, you're going to need this right away. To help you guys remember that God heals, Miss Pat has two different kinds of band-aids, boxes of band-aids. She has neon-colored band-aids, and she has camouflage band-aids. So if you put the camouflage band-aids on, you can't even see you've got a band-aid on. So <laughs> go ahead and get a box of band-aids from her, whichever one you want there. There you go. All right. Cool. And when you use them, pray that God heals you. All right, good deal. So back to Cana, Cana of Galilee. Galilee up in the northern part of Israel. Uh, and then we're looking at January and February of 31 AD. 31 AD, 
Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. No common error, nothing nonsense. We're talking about B.C., before Christ, and A.D., and the year of our Lord. So uh, about 31 A.D., Jesus has just entered his public ministry not too long before this, January, February or so is what we think. We're still rejoicing over the privilege of baptizing my brother, Mac, right here. And he look, you look a little worried right there, Mac. <laughs> And the big guy in the back was an angel from God. That's his son. Because when Mac took, by the way, we have new tread things on there now. You'll be glad to know. Yeah. Uh, but when, when, when he came out, he kind of slipped a little bit and his, his son caught him. And that was of God because that would have been, uh, been not so good otherwise. Next week, we're going to break from our Life of Christ series, as, as I've told you already, and we're going to talk about mothers who make a difference in honor of Mother's Day. Guys, next Sunday is Mother's Day. Fair warning, because Father's Day is coming up too, so <laughs> you reap what you sow, just, just saying, you know. So, so for today, though, we continue our Life of Christ study, but I'm not going to recap all the way back to the beginning, uh, starting in Bethlehem for Jesus. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, the last few weeks, we preached on just a couple of things. First of all, the, the first public ministry, uh, of, or first public miracle, rather, and it was turning water into new wine. If you weren't here for that and you wonder, what am I talking about? I'm talking about Welch's. I'm talking about grape juice. I'm talking about newly pressed wine. I'm not talking about uh, the, the, the wine being a picture uh, with alcohol in it of the precious blood of Jesus Christ without any kind of error or, or sin or any kind of problem. So anyhow, it, it's, it's archived. If you want to go see how heretical I am, go check it out on either YouTube or Facebook, either one, First Baptist Church Coronado, Turning Water into New Wine. That was his first miracle. Secondly, the cleansing of his father's house. They had made it a house of merchandise, and in the courtyard, instead of the sounds of worship and praise and adoration, it was the bleeding of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and, and the, all of the stuff going on along with the, um, the money changers, and, and we speculated that perhaps some of them were being dishonest in, in exchange rates and so on. Or whatever reason, he drove them out because the temple was not to be a place of merchandise, but a place of honoring Almighty God. And then we preached on two different conversations. Uh, three weeks ago, I preached on a conversation by night with one named Nicodemus. When Nicodemus came to him by night, because as a religious leader in Judaism, he didn't want to be seen consulting this new Messiah, supposed Messiah, uh, didn't want to be seen consulting uh, him in broad daylight. So he came by night. And that famous, the most famous of all scriptures, probably. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life, uh, was born out of that conversation. Then the second conversation, last week, because two weeks ago I was in Alabama, but Eaton fried everything, absolutely. They fry their water. <laughs> Everything's fried. And, and you just, you know, when you ask God to bless it, you just hope your arteries don't slam shut before you can get home and get an aspirin. So, uh, but we, we talked about last week about the woman of Samaria at the well of Sychar and how that uh, here was this woman who Jews were not supposed to have any dealings with Samaritans. First of all, were not supposed to, men weren't supposed to have any dealings with women. Second of all, she was an immoral woman. We find out, which by the way, we all are in one way or another. We're all sinners. Saved by grace. Well, my sin's not as bad as your sin. Of course not. I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. But I am a sinner every bit as much as you are. Absolutely. Um, 
So today we learn of his second public miracle, as I mentioned, in about 38, 31 AD, and it takes place as he returns to Cana. So first point is on the road again, return to Cana in John chapter 4 and verse 46. First part of that verse says this, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana where he had turned the water into wine, into new wine, Jim Bezos' translation right there. And this series so far surprised me in a couple of ways. I was surprised at how much travel was involved in our Lord's first uh, 10, 12 years, rather, uh, over 1,200 miles worth of travel. And we traced it out on the map last time. We, we talked about going from uh, Bethlehem uh, back to uh, Nazareth. And we talked about coming uh, to Jerusalem for the dedication of the temple. We talked about uh, him going to Egypt uh, because of the persecution uh, of Herod. We talked about him coming back then to Bethlehem. We talked about, uh, and so we kind of traced that back and forth, 1,200 miles in the first few years of his life, and finally he comes in and he, he confounds the religious crowd with his own understanding of scriptures and his own teaching of scriptures. Um, so, so I was surprised at that. I was surprised at also at how much time lapses between the events. If you read the Gospels, if you're like I am and you read the Gospels, it's almost like there's one miracle after one, another conversation, after another person getting saved, after another event, after another feast, after another uh, happenstance. I mean, it's, just, it's like they're piled up on each other. But that's not the way it was in real life. There's some lapses of time between the events. I do know from Scripture, the authority of Scripture, that a lot more happened in Jesus' life than what we have recorded. I know that. Because John chapter 21, verse 25 says, Jesus also did many other things. As he's concluding his gospel, he says, Jesus did many other things. And he says, if, it were, if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So unless we think they're just the events recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the beginning of Acts, unless we think that's all there is to the ministry of Jesus, uh, the reality is the books, uh, if, if they were written down, there wouldn't be enough room in the world to contain all the books. I do know this. Sometimes that bothers people that, well, we don't know what happened all the time. We don't know what happened every day. But you know what? The Holy Spirit allowed us to know what he did want us to know. He allowed to be recorded what he wanted to be recorded. He didn't commission the authors of Holy Writ to write down every single minute and every single second of our Savior's life, but he did move them to write what he wanted to preserve so that it would be to our benefit even today. For example, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, let's stop there a moment. Anybody who writes maybe poetry or music would be considered, uh, they, they write inspired music or poetry, unless it's me writing poetry, which is not very inspired. Uh, but uh, we, we talk about human inspiration. This is not what this is. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It, it literally means, in the Greek words, that means God breathed. It's like, <sighs> God breathed into the lives of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Later on, uh, Luke again in the book of Acts. Paul, later on, all scripture is given by the inspiration God breathed and is profitable for what? For doctrine, which means instruction and teaching. Uh, and, and doctrine is important. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, we get together with this group and we have a good time. We don't talk about doctrine or anything. Well, what do you talk 
about then as a Christian, you know, and a Christian, if it's a Christian group, you better be talking about what Christ taught. So doctrine is important. It's the teaching and instruction of the word of God. The son of God, oftentimes in the gospels, another prophet of God, maybe in some other book, uh, it's good for teaching and instruction. It's good also for reproof, which is conviction or persuasion. The word of God convicts me. I try to read the word of God every single day, every single morning. I, I mostly do. And if I miss one, uh, like we had a prayer breakfast yesterday, so I got up and came here. I realized this morning I'd forgotten to read the scripture because of the prayer breakfast. Not my fault, God. It's the prayer breakfast fault. <laughs> you understand that, right? And so I read double reading today, so I'm staying current. I want to stay in the Word of God. And it, it convicts me. It, it persuades me of things. The preacher couldn't persuade me of things, but the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God persuaded me of things. I can't twist your arm and make you believe something. I can't cause you to say, uh, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to, I can't do that. It's not within my power. It's not within my responsibility. But the Holy Scriptures, that's why the Bible says that the Scriptures will not return unto him void or empty or without fruit. It will accomplish the purpose that he has. So when you give the word of God to somebody and you say, well, nothing happened, you don't know that nothing happened because something could be going on in their heart. Something could be going on in their mind. So it's for correction. It's, it's for conviction, persuasion, and then for correction, which means to set right again to get back on the right track. We get off, it's so easy, isn't it, to get off track? It's so easy. I, what's with the train crash season we're in? You know, it's, it's like every other day some trains crashing, getting off the track somewhere, making a mess of things. Well, uh, we, in, in our spiritual lives, get off track, and we can make a mess of things in a hurry. So it's, the Word of God helps us to set us right again. And it's also good for instruction to teach again, but with another element, to teach with the element of chastisement when necessary. The Word of God reproves us. The Word of God sets us straight, as we mentioned. It teaches us, as we mentioned, but it chastises us in righteousness, which is justice, that the person of God, man or woman, may be perfect. Wait a minute. Are we going to be perfect in this life? Not in the sense of sinless perfection, but we're going to be complete. We're going to be complete. That's what this word really means, to be complete uh, and, and, and to be sufficient, to be qualified, through, thoroughly furnished. Now, there's an interesting, depending on the translation, it either says thoroughly furnished or thoroughly furnished. King James, I believe, is thoroughly furnished, and some of the other translations are thoroughly furnished, and uh, so there's a little, a little difference there exactly, what, but it means the same. It means equipped completely unto all good works. So it's the word of God that is inspired that accomplishes all those things. Now, uh, Peter also wrote about special inspiration and what God included in his word and what God didn't include in his word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says, for the prophecy uh, came not in old time by the will of man. Uh, some, some men, I've heard people say, well, you can't trust the Bible. It's just written by men. Well, if that were the case, I wouldn't trust it either, but it's not just written by men because he says here, it came an old time not by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost, as they were moved upon. And that word picture is like a sailboat 
with its sail unfurled, Dan, and the wind catching that sail and moving the boat across, across the waters. It's the wind that provides the power. It's the, it's the breath of God that provides the power. They're moved by the Holy Spirit of, of God to write exactly what they wrote. Listen, using their temperament, using their personality, using their own vocabularies, God chose exactly who he wanted to write exactly what he wanted written, and we have it preserved. We have it, uh, we have it, okay, we were talking, I was talking to Fitz about this, and where are you, Fitz? You're in here. I think he's in the class, isn't he? Well, good, I can say whatever I want to about him. <laughs> We talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls, the fact that the Dead Sea Scrolls verify so much of the Old Testament. We talked about the Septuagint translation, which is the translation of the whole Old Testament into Greek, and it was done 400 years before Christ was born. It was already settled. And when you take these Dead Sea Scrolls that were found beginning in 1940, well, the current era, 1947, they were originally, some were found in 150 about uh, A.D., with origin, found some of them. But, but in 1947, the caves at Qumran were, were discovered to hold scrolls that were put in earthen vessels, and because of the arid conditions and the temperature and all, it was preserved. God did that, I think. And, and it verifies the Word of God. So the Word of God is not words that some men have written down. The Word of God is supernaturally inspired. We have exactly what we need to have. So chronologically, as we study the life of Christ in this series, uh, his, his next recorded action is in the little town of Cana, once again, bypassing Nazareth, because Jesus said, uh, testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country, John 4, 44. No doubt the people of Cana still remembered the amazing wedding feast they went to where uh, the water was th this huge amount, these big water pots. I can't remember now how many gallons uh, were turned into this new wine. They still remembered that. Uh, and so uh, a year or two before, that's when that happened. So then when they, he was coming to Galilee in John 4, 45, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast, and they also knew about the cleansing of the temple. So, so the, the, the testimony of what Christ did in the temple had preceded him. The testimony of the first miracle wasn't so people would go, oh, wow, isn't he amazing? It was so that there would be credentials of the fact that he was special. He was somebody at the fingerprint of God, the Simeon, the signs of God, uh, indicating that Jesus is the Son of Almighty God and God the Son. So we see point two, a request from a king's assistant. There was a, a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. And when he heard that Jesus had come, uh, in verse 46, that Jesus come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. So here's this government official. Now, remember Ronald Reagan's line, the nine scariest words in the world are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, right? Well, this guy wasn't here to help. He was here to get help. He was a government official who was there to be helped by Jesus. So the Greek word for gov government official here is an interesting word. It's basilikos, basilikos, which means king or kingly or belonging to a king or it means nobleman, which is what it's translated in, in the translation that I'm reading from, or, or a person attached to a court, so a basilikos. Now, the English 
derivative of that word you might be familiar with is basilica. A basilica, which is a large oblong-shaped hall with double colonnades used in ancient Rome as a court of law or for public assembly. So it was a government-type place, public government-type place. And so here's this public government-type nobleman, person, and, and, and it's he's king or kingly or belonging to a king. Now, the king to whom this nobleman was attached was Herod Antipas. Remember, there were several Herods. This is Herod Antipas. He was the Tetrarch of Galilee from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. Had several of his own family members killed because he was also always jealous of, or paranoid, I should say, of them usurping his throne and, and just a, a wicked, wicked uh, person. He's the one who had all the two-year-old boys and under put to death uh, after the, the wise men refused to come back and reveal where they had found Jesus. Uh, so he was, he was not a king, really. He was a tetrarch, but he was popularly considered as a king by most of the people. Now, the nobleman's son was sick, not just a little sick. He, wasn't, he didn't just have a little scrape like William had. Uh, he had something worse than COVID, maybe. He had uh, some kind of a, 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 a real near-fatal type illness, and uh, so he was in Capernaum. Now, uh, on the map, if I can do this without blinding myself this time, this is Cana right here, right there. The nobleman came from Capernaum. So if you get the index, which is not here right now, the, the mileage, you're going to be about 25 miles or so from Cana where Jesus was to Capernaum right here at the north part of the Sea of Galilee uh, where this nobleman lived, and he had traveled from that part uh, of, of, the, of Israel to come down to to ask Jesus to heal his son. So he traveled 20, 25 miles. Now, um, that's about the distance I live from the church here. Uh, I am certain that the nobleman did not deal with the kind of traffic that I deal with every day. He didn't have so many weird charioteers out on the road as there are today. Uh, but it was significant to me that it probably took him a lot longer to go the 20, 25 miles than it takes me to go when I'm driving like 70 uh, 65 uh, <laughs> miles an hour. Uh, so, uh, so he made effort. What am I saying? He put effort into it. He, he, he wasn't just said, well, I think, you know, he's, he, Jesus next door, I'll go see him. He put effort. He had to have forethought into this. He had to make a plan. He had to travel. He got there, and he asked Jesus for this request. Now, when the nobleman requests healing for his son, Jesus, who was not just a mere man, right? We've got that figured out. I hope you've got that figured out. Detects in this royal official uh, a, a welcome, first of all, and that's good. He's, he's glad to see Jesus. But he also detects a faith that desires a cure, but one that doesn't fully trust Jesus yet. Not really how do we know that? It's not anything that, that the nobleman said. It's what Jesus said to the nobleman. Here's his words in verse 48. Jesus asked, will you, and it's interesting, he's talking to one nobleman, but he says, will you, and that's the, the word there is plural. Will you, if you're in Alabama, will y'all, will y'all, more than just a, this just needy nobleman, this was, this was to the Jews who had been clamoring for uh, the Simeons, the special signs of God, special miracles 
so that they might believe or not believe? Uh, will you, plural, uh, never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Can't you just exercise faith? Isn't it enough just to believe in me and who I am because of the record, because of the testimony of my Father, because of the testimony of the Word of God? Can't you believe in me without having to see some big thing? And you talk to people today, and sometimes they'll, I haven't heard this lately, but sometimes people say, well, if, if, if Jesus were to perform a miracle, I'd believe. Well, there were people who Jesus performed a miracle in front of, and they didn't believe. So what makes you think that if he did some miraculous thing that you would just automatically bow down before him and accept him. So, won't you ever believe in me unless I do these miracles and these wonders? Perhaps the sternness of Jesus' answer evoked something in his life. Maybe it evoked faith because something changes. In verse 49, the official pleads, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Lord, curious, Lord God, please come now before my little boy dies. I, I, I'm, thinking of the, I'm thinking of the guy when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and some of the disciples were down below and, uh, and here's this guy's son who was, I, I love the King James Version, says he, he was a lunatic. Anybody who has a son knows what that, you know, yeah, he's a <laughs> lunatic. He's a nutcase sometimes. You know, that's, that's the way sons are. I was one, I know. I know how that is, but he says he, he, he throws himself in the fire. He throws himself in water. He tries to hurt himself. Something's wrong with him, He's, and your disciples, your followers couldn't cast the demons out of him, and Jesus talked about a faithless generation, and he talked about this man not having enough faith that his son would be delivered, and I love what he says. He says, he says to the man, you've got to have faith, he basically, and the man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. When you're praying for a loved one, Lord, I believe, but I help my unbelief. When you're not sure something's going to work out right, Lord, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Being honest, confessing to God that our faith is not always as strong as it ought to be. But here's the man saying, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Now, I noticed something uh, about the... Three different classifications in particular of people and how they responded to Jesus. The Samaritans turned out in mass to see him. And the Bible says the Samaritans believed on him because of the testimony initially of the Samaritan woman who went back into town and said, come here, a man who's told me everything I've ever done. And they came out of curiosity and they wound up believing and they begged him, please stay longer. And so he stayed for two days, right? So the Samaritans turned out in mass and they were... They were they believed in him. The Nazarenes were not receptive. Jesus himself said that a prophet's not without honor except in his own country. And so he didn't go back. To, he bypassed Nazareth so many times because they, they said, oh, wait a minute. Jesus, that's, that's that kid, that used to, he, Joseph's son, played in the carpenter shop and used to go out and cut down trees for his dad and things like that. Yeah, he's, he can't be the Messiah. He's just a carpenter's son. So Nazarenes didn't, weren't receptive at all. And then the people of Cana and perhaps Capernaum, I don't know this, believed in him only because of the sign gifts, the miracles that were displayed, the turning of water into new wine, and now uh, this nobleman coming expecting some kind of miraculous happenstance. So perhaps the news of what happened in Jerusalem at the feast had reached this nobleman. He said, this guy's special. There's something about him. There's an anointing on him. So I want to I 
I'm on a last-ditch effort. I've, we've been to doctors. We've tried to figure out how to help my son. We haven't been able to figure out. I'm going to go find out if this prophet can do anything. And, and Jesus noted, notes the lack of saving faith on the man's part. And, and this is a major difference. In the coming weeks, we're going to study about the centurion who had a son who was sick unto death. Remember that story in John, I think, chapter 8? We're going to find out that Jesus said he would come to his house, and the centurion said, no, you don't need to come to my house. He said, I'm a man of authority myself. He said, I tell people to come, and they come. I tell them to go, and they go. I'm a man of authority, and, and you are, and all you have to do is speak the word. That was faith. That was faith. I don't have to have a miracle, Jesus. You just speak the word. You just speak the word. Man, I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to make a, a, so this is a major difference. In fact, the centurion said, I'm not worthy of you even to come in on my roof, acknowledging that Jesus was someone uh, special and very, very special, true faith. So the nobleman comes out of desperation, but not necessarily faith. Now look at Jesus' response in John chapter 4, verse 50. Then Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. Go back home, your son will And the man believed. Now the word there for believe is pistuo, which means he had faith in, trust in what Jesus had said, and so he started back home. So now there's, there's been a, a change. He, now he's trusting. Maybe it's still a weak faith. Maybe it's not. You know, there are things that, that I just don't worry about. I, I absolutely trust God about that maybe I didn't when I was 15 or 25 or 50. But now I, tr- I know God's got a track record with, in my life. Jesus has a track record. And you can bank on whatever. He, that bank's a bad thing to say right now. Huh? All the banks. You, you, can, you, you can trust him. You can trust him. So the man started home. At this point, it seems the official was initiating some or experiencing some true faith in his life. And Jesus' rebuke was to caution him against having to see uh, mighty miracles and wonders. And Jesus commends us who believe in him without having seen the miracles. In John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said unto him, uh, Thomas doubted. Remember, we talk about doubting Thomas because the other disciples had seen Jesus. Thomas wasn't there. Uh, and so when Thomas shows up next time, Jesus said, come and, and put your fingers in my nail prints and put your hand in my side. And uh, he says then to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you. That's me. And Jesus was not only praying for us in John 17, he's praying for us right here in John chapter 20. And the reward of faith is seen in the 51st verse and following of of John 4. While the man was on his way, still on his way back home, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. How'd you like to have been that guy? Huh? Jump up, click your heels, spin around a couple of times. He asked them when, what time, the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock, the seventh hour, they say in Scripture, though at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. And then the father realized that that was the very time that Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in God. This was the second miraculous work, sign that Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. So what happened? This guy from the government had a need. The nobleman's faith was strengthened. Initially, it was very weak. It was strengthened as a result of him believing finally and obeying 
His son lived, and not only that, not only did he live physical life restored, he lived spiritual life granted for eternity, forevermore. His entire household came to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just the miracle worker, but he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. I was listening to a CD on the way over here. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. This country needs a Savior. We met last Monday night over at Calvary Chapel. Uh, I think there were five or six preachers and about 40 or so people who met there for prayer, for National Day of Prayer. And one after another prayed for God to be in our education system, God to be in our city government, God to be in our state and national government, God to be in uh, in our churches. Because so many have, have left the truth. They left the teaching, the doctrine of the word of God. Doctrine is important. Praying for our nation to turn back to Almighty God. I've said it before, if, if the United States doesn't have another Jesus revolution, if we don't have another revival, it won't be the fault of the gays. It won't be the fault of the trans. It won't be the fault uh, of the of the liars and cheats and business in the world and so on. It won't be that. It'll be the fault of the Christians who have not gotten serious about the things of God. It's your responsibility and mine. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Is he yours today? How's your faith? Is it weak? Is it strong enough that you are saved, that you're born again? Have you trusted and obeyed. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Would you bow your heads, please? I wonder if you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, I, I'm not sure my faith is strong enough to take me to heaven. I'm not sure that I believe enough. I want to believe. I want to be a sa- saved. I want to I be a child of God, but I'm not sure I'm ready. Well, if that's you, I'm speaking to right now. Would you just for a moment... Forget about everything else, and just for a moment, concentrate on asking God to be your Lord and your God and your Savior. The Bible says we've all sinned, every single one of us, comes short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. The Bible says that Jesus is that Savior. He came from his Father. He died on the cross. He was buried, and he rose again. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in our heart, God has raised him from the dead, that we can be saved. So if you haven't done that, would you call upon him right now, right where you're seated? You don't have to say it out loud. You can if you want to. It won't bother me one little bit. But if if you'd rather not, you can pray just to the Lord. He knows what's in your heart, your mind right now. Just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to die one day and stand before you. I want to be ready for that day. Please forgive me of my sins. Be my God. Be my Savior. If you just prayed that prayer with every head bowed, if you just now prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand up? Hold it up real high. God bless you. God bless you. And you. And you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Anybody else besides these? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, one other thing. Christian, we're getting ready to have communion. The Bible says in... Matthew, or in 1 Corinthians, rather, chapter 11. Before we're to take communion, we're to examine ourselves. 
we're to look at our own heart so that when we eat of that bread and drink of that cup, we don't do so unworthily. Because if we do so unworthily, we eat and drink judgment to ourselves, not discerning the Lord's body, not being careful about this. For many caused, many were sick and, and are weak, and many had fallen asleep or had died. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So would you look in your own heart for just a minute, Christian, and would you say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Please wash me clean. God, I'm, I've failed so many times. Please forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me clean again. You've said if, if we confess our sins that you're faithful in us to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you just prayed that prayer, would you just lift your hand up real high. Hold it up real high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. And you. And you. And you. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful, so thankful for a Savior who sought us and found us gave his life for us, for ours, that we could have eternal life with him forever, a place called heaven. God, I pray your blessings upon each person here today. I pray, God, that decisions would be made and that lives would be changed. Like this nobleman's life was changed who went from doubting and not knowing to absolutely trusting. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? Give you an opportunity. Just, just going to sing a verse or two of an invitation hymn. What is this for? Well, if you've ever seen the Billy Graham crusade, when people make a decision for Christ, he, he would always ask them to come and make that decision. Not be ashamed of him. We're not ashamed of him. He won't be ashamed of us. So if God's spoken to your heart, something you need to come, you come on down here. Guys, I'll pray with you. My wife can pray with the ladies here. Um, in the back. Uh, Ryan, where are you, buddy? Uh, in the back. Okay, and Rachel's back in the back also. So if ladies, you want, Rachel will pray with you. Guys, Ryan will pray with you. So as we sing this invitation, a verse or two, would you come and do what God wants you to do right now? someone will be available after the service and be glad to do so. I'd like for those who are going to help with communion elements to take your positions now, if you would, please. If you did not receive the communion elements, the cup and the bread, then if you'll raise your hand, uh, 
As they come by, we'll make sure you will get that for you. prayed during that invitation time on the back table right by the sound booth there's some blue plastic bags with some literature inside and there's a book in there that will help you with your next step what you need to do next for the Lord Jesus Christ so I hope you'll take one of those nobody will question you about it it's just absolutely there for your benefit so please help yourself the apostle Paul writes how that he had received with the Lord that which also he delivered unto us that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. If you've read the story of the passion of Christ, you know that in that upper room, one of the last things he did before he went out to the Garden of the Gethsemane was to pick up from that Passover table some bread that was unleavened because leaven was a type of sin. And that unleavened bread spoke of spotlessness of the sacrifice in the Passover, but even more deeply, it spoke of the sinlessness of the Savior, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And so that unleavened bread is a type of the broken body of Jesus Christ. He died for you and for me, and he gave thanks for the bread. Our Father, we thank you for the symbol of your body that endured so much for us. The beatings, the crowning of thorns, the the plucking out of the beard, the carrying of the cross, that awful lashing with cat of nine tails, shredding of your back by that instrument of torture. And then the nails piercing your hands and piercing your feet, pinning you to the old rugged cross. Thank you for enduring horrendous things for us that we might have eternal life by trusting in you. He said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Also on the table, the Passover feast was the cup 
with the fruit of the vine in it. And after the same manner, he took the cup and he gave thanks for it. Our Father, we're grateful for the blood that was shed on the cross. We're so sorry that your only begotten son had to die on that cross. But we're so thankful that he was willing to pour out his life's blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He became the fulfillment of every type of animal that was offered previous to this in the temple or on the altar. He was the fulfillment. Whereas the blood of bulls and goats cannot save us, the blood of Jesus Christ gives us everlasting life by trusting in him. He said, take you and drink all of it. The next thing they did was to sing a hymn and go out into the Mount of Olives. And so our tradition here, if you're comfortable with it, is to stand, to join hands as much as possible with those that are around you. And we're going to sing a chorus of thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And after we sing that, that will conclude this morning's worship service. Thank you so much for being part of it. So praise team, as you lead Thank you so much for being in God's house today. Amen.